As we are starting, let's open our Bibles again. I would like us to declare the Lordship of Jesus into the air. The first seven verses of Psalm 52. Pardon me to explain it again. What we are doing is to fill our environment with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the water covers the sea. I'm asking us again to all make it a habit. What we are prophesying is the Lordship of Jesus. What we are prophesying is the judgment of God against iniquity. What we are prophesying is the work, or let's say the will of God, to be established on the earth. Uh, if you're on Psalm 52, give me an amen. amen. I'm waiting. If you're on Psalm 52, give me an amen. amen. Okay, more people are there now. Psalm 52, give me an amen. amen. Okay, I think we're there now, all right? Which version are we using? Okay, everybody's looking at a new American standard, right? We are in the first seven verses into the air, okay? Jesus is Lord. Somebody say amen. amen. Say after me, say Jesus is Lord. There is none like him. Say, Jesus is Lord. You don't sound convinced. Jesus is Lord. Is it my ear? Do I have something in my ear? Seriously. I can't hardly hear you. Say, Jesus is Lord. All right. Okay. Say, he's a Lord. He's a King of Kings. He's a Lord of Lords. Say, over this nation. Jesus is Lord. Over my life. Jesus is Lord. In the church of God in this nation, Jesus is Lord. Now we declare as follows. One, two, let's go. Why do you boast in evil, almighty man? The loving kindness of God endures all day long. Your tongue devises destruction like a sharp razor, O worker of deceit. You love evil more than good, falsehood more than speaking what is right. You love all words that devour. O deceitful tongue, but God will bring you down forever. He will snatch you up and tear you away from your tent and uproot you from the land of the living. Verse 6, the righteous will see and fear and will laugh at him, saying, Behold the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and was strong in his evil desires. Amen. I said amen. Now, what I want you to understand from this we have read, listen, let me just say this again. God is moving out in this nation and is judging iniquity. Amen. That's a matter of fact. Let me say what I said on Tuesday again. See, all those who that lie, they come to church to use the pulpit to make money. They mount the pulpit, they know the truth, they lie. They are all going down one by one. Amen. That you say amen, no. You don't say amen, no. It is happening already. And it will continue to happen. I just say it so that people will take warning. If you're a preacher, you go to church thinking of how you collect money from people. You have just a few more weeks to do that. When I say to do it, not to continue doing it, but to repent. You have just a few more weeks to repent because the Lord has sharpened his sword, as a matter of fact, and is cutting down every tree of unrighteousness. Everyone that's bearing fruit of unrighteousness in the lives of other people who have come to seek the Lord. The Lord is cutting them down one by one. As a matter of fact, those who rejoice in doing evil, he said, the Lord will break you down forever. He will snatch you up and tear you away from your tent and uproot you from the land of the living. He said, the righteous will see and fear. You know, because what's been going on, many people who have been doing righteousness have been discouraged. 
But hear ye the word of the Lord. The righteous will see and fear. And they will laugh at the man who has been triumphing in evil. They will say, behold the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and was strong in his evil desire. And your eye, your eye will see it in this generation. In the name of Jesus Christ. All right, the Lord is good. Before we take our seats, please quickly, let's take our declaration of understanding as we always do. One, two, let's go. Now I declare. The Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation. As a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I'm pleasing Him in all respects. I'm bearing fruit in every good work. And I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to His word. Word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It is healing me in every area. And it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Alright, the Lord is good. Let's take our seats quickly. Alright, let's continue again by reading from the book of James. Uh, James chapter 2. James chapter 2, we'll read from verse 14. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead being by itself. Then he went ahead in verse, um, from verse 18 to explain to us that someone may say, you, may, you have faith and I have works. That the way you show your faith is by the works. He says, show me your faith without the works and I will show you my faith by my works. And I went ahead to explain that in verse 20, are you willing to recognize you foolish fellow? That faith without works is useless. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works. And as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. So you see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. That is, his faith has to have works with it. Then he now says, verse 26, For just as a body without the spirit, or without the breath, is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Now, we have been looking at that, and we'll be talking about the breath of faith. That's what we retitled this series. And I explained the reason last time. That word, uh, Breath, there is the one you find in verse 26. Just as a body without the breath, if you see, read the New Living Translation, it makes that abundantly clear. I don't need to try and explain it to us again because it's written there clearly. He said, just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. Now, please let me remind us again. I can't do it enough. He said, where there is no repetition, the people are not established. All right? It would be amazing to you to see the number of things you have said. People believe the opposite. You say, ah, but you've been hearing me say this all this while. But imams are just like that. So that's why we cannot get tired of repetition. Okay? Let's say it again. 
James was explaining. People were misunderstanding Paul. That was the issue. And James was trying to correct that misunderstanding. That if your faith is only in your heart, even you that claim to have that faith, you may be deceived. He says, show me your faith without the works. That how do you expect to show me the faith? There's no way to show faith. The things that are invisible, things like faith, principles like love, they can only be shown by the works. And please, my emphasis today is going to be on that personal assessment. Now, the showing here, I want to emphasize that James was also implying that even you cannot tell what faith you really have. You can only assess it by the works you find in your own life. Did you get my point? Self-deception is thinking something about yourself that's not true, but you believe it. Hypocrisy is that you know the truth, but you are acting for us to see. That's hypocrisy. That is not as bad as self-deception because a deceived person thinks he knows the truth. I hope you're getting my point. He assesses himself or herself in a particular way, but that way is wrong. And the fellow will argue with you from now to tomorrow. I know myself. But the Bible is saying that you can never know it. It's not possible. It's only by the works. Now, what I want to teach today, if the Holy Spirit is letting me get into it directly, instead of doing too much review, so I may end up not revising too much. What I want to explain today is that we need it, each individual, to assess ourselves, to find out whether, like the Bible says, whether we are still in the faith. The major problem, okay, let me quickly say this again so that I remind us. Faith is like, the works of faith is like the breath of faith. In this way, is, that is what proves to you that the faith is genuine, that it's alive. It's possible to have faith that has died. The problem with faith that you had, which is dead, is that you still remember the words of religion. Are you getting my point? You will know the which scriptures to quote. You will know how to speak the Christianese. You will know how to go to church on a regular basis. But the faith may be dead. Do you follow my point? I mean, look at what Jesus said in that Revelation chapter 3. He said, you have a reputation that you are alive, but you are dead. The people thought they were alive. I'm sorry to say this. Many churches that we think are growing, God said they are dead. There's no growth. Like one of my friends will say, cancer is a growth too. The fact that something is increasing in number and in size does not mean it is alive. It may be death spreading. If you see a cat on the road that's lying down there, one sure way for you to know it's dead. It's how do you know? It's bloated. Do you remember? See an animal lying down, it starts increasing in size. It's bigger yesterday today than yesterday. You come tomorrow, it's bigger still. It's not growing. It's decomposing. The, the decomposition is making it swell. So sometimes we have swelling numbers in churches. It's not a sign of growth. It's a sign of spiritual decomposition. Number is swelling, but we are decomposing. That is why it's so critical. James said you cannot. It's not possible to know your faith without analyzing how your works are going. 
Did Abraham believe God? Yes. But the only proof was that he, sacri- uh, he sacrificed Isaac. If Abraham sat at home and said, God has spoken to me and I believe it. Anything God says, I believe. I don't have any doubt concerning the word of God in my life. And he doesn't go to sacrifice Isaac. It's a lie. It is a lie. And many of us are deceiving ourselves on a daily basis. We don't realize that our faith is basically dead. Let me say this, because one of my own fears I had at the time, in fact, <laughs> when I say fear, real fear, I'm not joking. That is, you want to say, God, help me. Am I, am I not in trouble here? There was a time I analyzed a number, listen, I'm not joking about this. I analyzed a number of preachers who I used to love. You won't know who I'm talking about, okay? You can't even, of course, you may try and guess, and of course, you can be right, you can be wrong. I'm not going to confirm it, whether you're right or you're wrong. And I noticed something. There will be a man, maybe I love this man's message, I used to listen to it, and I go, they get me his current message, I listen to it, and I can't connect what he said. That is, listen, they, they don't, the messages don't move me. If I am looking, I say, is this man preaching the gospel or is joking? Some people now say that it's because you have grown. I say, no. I can mention some names. I say, what about Kenneth Hagin that I listened to for 40, okay, 30 years apart, and I didn't have any feeling, no difference in feeling. I heard his messages when he was very old, just before he died. The same thing I felt about them when I heard them as when I heard them maybe 20 years before that. And some of them he preached even longer you know, back, all right? I listened to, let me not mention it now. Some, many ministers like, I said, no. They said, because I have grown. I said, no, it's not about growth. The interesting part is that there are many messages I listen to till today. I first heard them maybe like 20 years ago. They are still my choice messages for boosting my, myself up. If I need to charge my faith again, that's where, where I go to. I noticed that a number of times, quite a bit. In fact, three names just flashed through my mind now. Okay? It worried me a bit. And I remember, you know, when Satan wants to scare you. Are you getting my point? Anyway, it's not even Satan. It's the Holy Spirit helping out. I read my Bible. I realized that Solomon was like that too. Ah, Solomon, you don't know. This guy is looking surprised. Apostle, why is he looking surprised? The old man, Solomon, you think was a normal person? <laughs> the old Solo was backslidden. The old Solomon, idolatry flourished in Israel because of him. The old Solomon was the reason why God broke Israel into Israel and Judah. The old Solomon, listen, <laughs> let me pray a prayer for you. May you not prosper in iniquity. Amen. Now that amen is very good though. Let me pray another one, which you, you think to before you say amen. There are many good things in your life that you think they are good. Now I'll first pray my prayer to scare you, and I'll explain. There are some good things in your life you think they are good. May you not prosper in them. Amen. Ah, you are very confident though. You, you, you have faith in me. That I know what I'm saying. Yeah, there are things you are involved in. You think they are good. But they are not good. Let me tell you something about the patience of God. Many people in, misinterpret the patience of God for approval. The patience of God is often misinterpreted for approval. Why did I say that? Solomon married the first wife. God didn't say anything. He didn't approve. He disapproved. But he was patient. He married the second one. God didn't say anything. He didn't approve, 
he disapproved. But Solomon misinterpreted the fact that God said nothing in the days of his father. Because you know his father was the first man in many wife matter. What am I talking about? Do you know those were the very things that finally ended the kingdom? That woman matter. The many wives matter was what ended the, the reign of that. That is the kingdom as one nation. That was what ended it. Why am I talking about it? In the early days, it seemed to prosper. You know, Solomon was pro- prospering a lot as a result of the dedication of David, which extended into his early parts of his life. So he will go, he will make, you know, alliances, you know, he will, he will go into agreement with neighboring nations as far away as Egypt. All the nations around, they were subject to Solomon or they were friendly with Solomon. And one of the signs of the agreement was marriage. I hope you're getting my point. One of the signs was what? Marriage. So he and the, the ambassador of Egypt will visit. And they will finish talking that will sign an agreement. And when the ambassador is leaving, he will leave a damn cell behind. And Solomon will say, you see, it's good to have good relationship with your neighbor. One of the ways you have a good relationship with your neighbor is to marry their daughters. And people will go to the school of diplomatic success and be learning bad things. But they will not know. Do you know why? It's working. They will tell you it's working. These are the results. It's working. How can somebody else do it like this? Look at how it's working. Solomon had peace round about. You have to be able to judge the result of these things. They couldn't fight Solomon. He was their in-law. I have a classmate like that. We are the, I think with, I think, yes, if we measure the diametric oppositeness of our lives, he's the most opposite to me in that class. But it's my wife's brother. You know the way we say in Nigeria. So we always settle it with you. You know you are my in-law. <laughs> when we pour it over everything, <laughs> we'll not end it with you are my in-law. One day, he says something at the end of the day. I apologize for something that I said. I, I, I spoke, I spoke. He took offense, I apologized. Somebody said, why are you apologizing to him? I said, you know he's my in-law. <laughs> That's how we end everything. And of course, always threatening to come and collect his wife back. So that's what Solomon did. He made friends with everybody around. And listen, my emphasis is that he was prospering as a result of it. But you know that was what ended his kingdom. I was reading the book of Samuel again, first Samuel. Then I got there again saying, wow. May you not prosper in what looks good in your life that God does not agree with you. Listen, if you are trying to do something that does not work, please go and pray. Say, God, are you sure you want me to do it? It's not every good thing that people are doing that people think they are good that God wants you to do. Why am I saying so? Do you know they chose Saul as king? Remember that? They asked for a king and God gave them Saul. Do you remember the story? You look like you have forgotten. If you, have, if you can remember, say, I can remember. I can remember. Okay, look, now your mouth looks like you can remember. Good. Do you know as soon as Saul entered into power, instantly they saw the results. Nahash came, the king of the Ammonites, misbehaving. Saul mobilized 330,000 soldiers against him and finished him. He finished in stock. Saul will finish them. In fact, when he finished with the Ammonites, they said, who was it that said Saul should not be king of ours? Bring them out here. We are going to kill them. Because so successful was that the first few weeks of Saul's reign. My God. When they finished, someone asked, okay, now, let's go and confirm that he's your king. They all got that long-lived king Saul. It was feeling like that, you know. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. Praise God. Until Goliath showed up. <laughs> the woman Goliath showed up. So I said, ah, what's going on here? Then God sent David to help them finish Goliath. Then Wahala started. Jealousy, rivalry. The man, instead of ruining the kingdom, kingdom, started threatening to kill the little boy. Not threatening, trying to. Israel went into bondage. The bondage that, what's his name, Samuel warned them about. That's what I mean when I said that, listen, there are some things that look good. May you not succeed in them if it's not the will of God for you. And sometimes God cannot explain. He can only just end it for you. Let's just bear that in mind. Alright? So you find out that, I read that in the scripture, Asa, the same thing happened with Asa. If you remember the story of Asa. For 35 years, Asa was doing very well. In the 36th year of his reign, trouble started. Asa that had done so well. Something happened to Asa along the line. Of course, my conviction is that it was a, now, prosperity has dangers. Ha, please, I don't want to lose my, you know, my thoughts today. But many things are coming to my mind to explain. Don't ever forget this. The most important thing that God is doing in your life is, is the development of your faith. It's not money. I hope you're getting my point. It's not money. I said on the other day that if you don't keep the faith in your achieving prosperity and progress, whatever it is, you have failed. Are you getting my point? I want to say keeping the faith. If prosperity will make you change, now listen, you can alter things as you get wiser. I hope you're getting my point. In which case, for example, your dedication may become stronger than before. But if prosperity is making you water down your faith, water down your principles to adapt to the situation. Something is wrong. You are failing, you are not succeeding. Please, I need to explain this to you. If you listen to that series I did that time, the um, Cooperating with the Seasons of Life's Adventure, I said, number one, we have the stage of what? Sit down and count. And what do we come out with in the stage of sit down and count? Wisdom for salvation. Now, that wisdom for salvation is what I'm talking about. After that, I said, you're going to the stage of what? The trial of your faith. Now, what the trial of your faith does, what the trial of your faith does, okay, is to test the depth of our convictions. Now, it's so important as believers that we bear, it, bear in mind what precisely God is doing. Please, I want to go over it again. You know, I've been, we're having this discussion over the last uh, few days. Something led to it again. We had a discussion today. <laughs> and, you know, it's issue of money. Issue of money comes up. Like, somebody sent a joke. One young man who... Okay, okay, I forwarded it to you. The man went for an interview. He, he, they told him he succeeded and that his salary will be 20 million naira a week. <laughs> it's supposed to be a joke. It's a comedy skit. That salary is 20 million naira a week. So the young man turned to the guy beside him and said, please, what exactly do you do in this place? He said, because I can't sell, I can't sell Igbo. He said, I can't market Igbo. I can't sell drugs. And I can't kill people. I want to know what exactly what you would do. <laughs> The guy said that ah, it's accounting. I said, oh, I will do accounting for you people. And you will pay me 20 million naira a week. The guy said, yes. The boy packed his bag. He said, I'm a Christian. <laughs> <laughs> the guy packed his bag. He said, listen, I'm a Christian. Please, I'm going. <laughs> said, whatever people are doing here, I, will, I, I want no part of it. I'm a Christian. I'm going home. <laughs> you should watch this in a very fantastic actor. That young guy. The guy said, please, what is that you will do here? He said, because I can't sell Igbo, I can't sell drugs, and I can't kill people. <laughs> I'm doing accounting for you. You pay me 20 million naira a week. 
Now, he said, now, now listen to this. So that now started the discussion. You understand? People now started with, uh, you see, um, Christians should have the ability to, I said, who's talking about ability to receive? Say prosperity is of God. Who's talking about whether prosperity is not of God? You enter a place, they say they want to pay you 20 million a week to be doing accounting for them. Are you working for, what's the name of this guy? Uh, uh, Pablo Escobar. That is the only account <laughs> business that will pay you that amount of money to do the accounting. Now, the point I'm making is so Christians will not get into the discussion of it. God wants you to prosper. I said, no, you people are not getting the point. And many Christians, look at it. Crypto, cryptocurrency has collected all their money. Despite all the money we gave out. No, Christians are not here. Human beings, not Christians. God, I'm sorry. I don't mean your children. I mean human beings. They won't listen. Once something just looks like quick money. They want to collect their portion. When they want to collect, I can collapse after I've gone. Even if, if, once you have that attitude, that money you are receiving is under a curse. Listen to me. Did you hear what I said? Once you say, let it collapse after I have gone, you have invoked a spiritual problem into the money. Because indeed you expect it to collapse. And when it's collapsing, you know, whatever, for all those funny, all this crypto, crypto, is all pyramid, look, it's all pyramid schemes. How can something that has no inherent value be tripling in value every day? And you want to tell me that you can't see that has no, there's no logic for it. When I hear the amount of Christians that lose money in those schemes every day, you know, I'm shocked. I say, so with all this preaching we are preaching, you know, once you are preaching, some people look at pastor, you're on your own, I beg. This money we must make up. You know one thing I found out? If what I'm saying is true, you will find out. Whether you will find out easily, or the hard way is the discussion. But that you will not find out will not happen. Now, this is where I'm going. Sometimes when I have discussion on money with people like that, they don't get it. They don't get that the issue, the issue is not money. It's those things are like now, this discussion we're having today now. Someone was trying to prove that God wants us to prosper. Who's discussing whether God wants us to prosper or not? We are saying, if somebody suddenly offers you a job that's too good to be true, you should have enough spiritual discernment to be very suspicious. Go home and go and pray. For goodness sake, who will pay you that amount doing honest business? In the world? We are adults. We know what's going on in the world. Stop quoting scripture. Say favor is not fair. Why are you complaining when they pro- promote an uneducated man above you in the office? No, let me sit on that for a moment. One day, my wife was in a chat group, Christian chat group, and this issue came up. Somebody said, what will you do if the day or two days to your wedding, you suddenly got maybe an invitation to come and collect a contract for a huge amount of money? I can't remember the exact amount. What they said that time was 300 million naira, but let's, let's even leave that. Now, let's even assume it's 1 billion naira. Not, that's not the money you are making. No. Okay, let's even assume you are going to make 100 million out of the whole deal. That's what they said that time. It said 300 million naira contract. Which, of course, if you do it well, you, should, you won't make up to 20%. Okay, but let's even say you're going to make a 100 million naira. So the discussion was that, what will you do? Your wedding is on Saturday. You got this call on Thursday or Friday. Eh? You got air eh, well, No, the idea, the concept is that it's a short-term notice and you will miss the wedding. I, I hope I get my point. Maybe you have to travel that day and be in to collect it on that Saturday morning. Essentially, you are going to miss your wedding. Discuss. Listen, let me say something to all of us here. Everything in life is a test. I want you to start seeing life like that. 
Everything is a test. And the person administering the test, his name is Jesus Christ. And like we discuss in our house almost every morning, he's going around checking everything you are doing. He's looking over your shoulder. Everything is what? A test. So then the discussion was going on. And I remember one man said something. He said, listen, you know, the only person you owe is your wife. That your wife to be. You don't owe any other person an explanation. If this one down tomorrow now, he will be able to start talking, 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 talking. I said, look at foolishness ranting away. The only person you owe explanation is your wife. Her father does not count. Her mother does not count. Your mother does not count. The priest does not count. Pastor Banky that you made me rearrange my, my schedule to do your wedding, I don't count. All your friends that have sold you Ashebi, they don't count. I said, listen, forget the hundred million naira profit you're about to make. God is checking how you value people. That's, you see, people don't understand. That's why he's checking. He has given you a test that can you walk away from this first? He will give you all the reasons. Your friend will say, ha, you know your uncle rearranged his um, holiday to be in Nigeria this period. Normally he doesn't come, but he has such a high regard for your father. He says, they will tell you that. At the end of the day, you now say, oh boy, opportunity comes but once. You say, oh, is that what you heard in church? Because, you know, the Lord will tell you, your friends will say, no, no. That's not how the pastor said it. Pastor said that day, that if it's really your own, it will wait for you. He said, no. At the end of the day, you know what you do? Of course, you make your choice. But whichever choice you make, listen to this. You either have passed a test or you have failed a test. Just, just know it like that. And the love of money should not be tossing you up and down. That day, as people were talking, I was just, you know, you know these days, and I told you what I've been checking these days. Eh? Every poster, I will look. I look at the people that you invited. Say, Pastor Kimothy is inviting the program. I see all these guest ministers. I've been checking. This one mourned when the first prophet died. He mourned. This, uh, no, that's, <laughs> that's how I check them. I'll be, I'll be watching them one by one. Pay costly visits to the widow of a great prophet. I mark you down. Next poster, I see your face. I see all the people that came with you. I have no, I'm, I, I think I should, I post, let's create a register of false prophets. Yes. And publish it. I'm, yes, I agree with you. So people say, why can't you call somebody false prophet? Here it, they are false prophets. And if you don't know there are false prophets, you have a serious problem. You can argue with me whether somebody is false or not, but to not to understand that there are false prophets and you should know that there are false prophets and you have a duty as a believer to try and identify them. You should know that. And if you don't know that, you really have a problem. God commended that church in Revelation because they tested the people who said they were apostles, but they were not. And it's just the ones that tolerated that woman that called herself a prophetess when she is not. Who just opened their hearts and be pouring all kinds of nonsense inside their body. And then when you talk, they say you are criticizing. As if Jesus went around and said, Pharisees know you are normal people. Jesus came and said, ah, don't be well, Pharisees. I can't criticize anybody. We have to be politically correct. Pharisees are good. They are all children of God. Scribes are normal. Woe to nobody. Nonsense. When you talk, you might don't want to talk. I beg, let's complete our message. Oh, we preach. <laughs> so, I've been using that, okay, to mark false prophets. In the same manner, when I see those discussions, I just be using the lover of money. Lover of money. 
People that will never do, no, you talk like that, I will never do business with you. I know you will sell me like they say, you throw me under the bus anytime. If it will make you more money. This one, I'm about to rearrange my whole schedule to come and honor you at your wedding, and you are saying it's only your, the girl you're about to marry you owe. There's no problem. Next time, you won't know when you say, Pastor Banke, I, I just know I don't have money. Ah, I don't have money for such. You wanted that, boy. you did it with the other man now. You won't know that. I'm remembering that conversation in which you proved that integrity means nothing to you as long as it brings money. Everything in life is a test. I tell this story once in a while. Strive Masiwa. They went for arbitration. He was claiming money. That's Econet. They were claiming money from another company that they breached a contract or something. Arbitration time, he said the rules of arbitration, all right, they are simple. One of the rules is that you must do full disclosure. Do you get my point? It's not like in court, in a normal court case where I have to prove something. This one, you coming to arbitration must come with all the documents. You don't, like, you know, I don't need to demand it. That's your opponent. Yeah, are you getting my point? You know, the, like now, in normal court, the other fellow has his own duty to prove his case and request all those documents. I don't have to volunteer any information he doesn't ask for. But say in arbitration, you can't do that. That you have to bring out everything. Because it's not a court case. They are going to sit down to try and settle the issue. And of course, their judgment is also final. So as they were bringing out documents, this guy suddenly produced a particular email that was going to work against them. When he saw it, he said, what? Where did this come from? Story, story, story. So they, they all agreed that we can't present this particular email or document. That if we do, we are done. And the logic is that I don't think they have it. I don't think they will remember it. So he reasoned and reasoned and said, no. It will be wrong. See, it's not what we really produce. Is, is it right or is it wrong? He said, for you have loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Listen to this. The world right now, they try to push results on us. It's not results. It's righteousness. It's not results. It's what? Righteousness. Is it right or is it wrong? That is a fundamental thing we address. Is it right or is it wrong? So he reasoned about it. I think he went and thought about it. Came back to these guys, filed everything. We disclose, he said, yes, full disclosure. That's the rule. Full disclosure. So they find everything with that damning evidence against them. They put it in. <laughs> Except that before the day of the ruling, those guys suddenly, they're the opposing party. Suddenly, um, I think their lawyer just, okay, guys, we want to drop the case. How much are you guys asking for? They told them, sorry, we're going to pay you. There's no trouble. We'll pay. So they went to the, the judges, the, the arbiters. So we have, we have settled. You know what Strive said in that um, article? He said, till tomorrow, he does it. He said, only heaven will know what, what was the reason they did that. that he, it didn't make any sense. They came to an agreement with the amount of money. Those guys said it was okay. They paid. Any other thing, they said nothing else. All right, so we can close the deal now. And he was wondering, you have evidence that you don't have to pay. Even though I know you have to pay. They were not lying. Just like you know the way legal things can be. This was a terrible twist for him. He said, but it's the right thing I have to disclose. He disclosed it. The guys dropped the case. The only thing he reasoned about, he said the only, this was the only thing that came to his mind, is that maybe they thought that if this guy is confident enough to show this thing, 
He has something else up his sleeve. Let's run while we have the chance. They did not know he had nothing else prepared. But he did what he did because he felt that was the right thing to do. Why did I talk about discussion we have with people about money? People don't get it. See, in everything in life, it is not money God is trying to give you. It's not comfort he's trying to give. Hey. Sometimes the comfort in itself is a test. I don't know whether you're getting the point. The comfort in itself is a test. Like, was it I was telling? That, you know, after our discussion, if not, yesterday I got home, I saw Mark on TV. They were interviewing him. He said one day, one man said I wanted to send him a particular huge amount of money. We are streaming, so I won't say the amount of money, even though he said it on television. Billions. He said, look at the man and said, what? For what? The man, he told the man, no, that's too much. Please, don't run me mental. The man said, no, sir, it's not only for you, okay, sir, you share with others. He said, the people you have mentioned now, if I give them this amount of money, all of them will die. <laughs> he told the man, no, no. He cut the money down by like 90%. Yes. He said, please, I want to remain safe. That discussion we're having a few days. I got home yesterday night. I saw Mark by saying the same thing. He said to the man, please, oh. This is how they just run people mental. No, I'm not interested. Told the man, no, hold the money. He cut the hotel demand, same like 10%. Yeah, that's okay for now. We can manage that. He said, now he's very careful before he gives people things. He said, one man, he bought a Jeep for the man. The man died. From excitement. He said, the man's blood pressure went up. I think he had a stroke and died. He said, now he watches it before. He will look at you like, am I about to kill you? Or am I about to bless you? Was that not what we discussing the other day? See, everything has its timing. Let me tell you something. Eh? Don't let the world deceive you. There's nothing glorious about being a billionaire at the age of 30. There's nothing about it. Many people are rich at 30 are poor at 40. True. You don't read enough news. If you watch the news closely, eh? many people are rich at 30 are dead at 40. Most of these celebrities you read about, 90% are not normal people. Today they are, they are hung on alcohol, tomorrow is cocaine. Now there's something Christians like to, to do something that makes me laugh. They say that would not be my portion. And I agree with you, it will not be your portion. But one thing you should bear in mind, if you desire it, that is, the desire for that wealth at that age has made it your portion. I don't know whether you're getting that. Listen. There is, no, there is no spirituality hmm? for breaking apart what God has joined together. What do I mean? The love of money is what is pushing many people. They want to quote it under the faith of uh, belief in prosperity. I don't know whether you are getting my point. You know, sometimes we don't get the scripture well. The Bible actually is very clear on many of the things. It said those who want to be rich. God does not want you to want to be rich. The only thing God commands is contentment. It is the world that teaches us desire to be rich and makes it look like godliness. It's not. Say, but God wants us to have abundance. You know who defines the abundance? God himself. I like the way Derek Prince defines prosperity. 
I've modified it a bit, but I got that from him. He said, prosperity is having all you need in life to do the will of God for your life. This is my own modification. Prosperity is having all you need in life to do the will of God and to help other people do theirs. You are not rich. Sorry, you are not poor if the will of God in your life for each moment can be fulfilled. And that's the reason why Jesus did not bother amassing wealth. There was no need. Everybody has an assignment. Financial management is an assignment. If I say this, you know, many people think that I'm just trying to preach. I'm not trying to preach. I'm telling you the truth. Okay, let's not even... Okay, I want to say that. There are wealthy people I see in this world today. Eh? It, will, it will amaze you if I say because I have to say it because people don't... You think everybody's thinking like you, but they are not. You have to let people know. I don't want to be like them. I don't want to be rich like them. I don't... You know why? It's their job they are doing. It's their job they are doing. We keep on using Dangote's name. Simply because it's a well-known name in our environment, in our society. Do you, do you, if God says, Banky, do you want me to make you as rich as Zangote? You know what I'll ask the Lord? I'll say, for what? I don't mean, you think, Pastor Banky, I'm very serious. Do you know why? This ministry wouldn't be here if I was like that. Listen, don't lie to yourself. It won't be there. There are things I see. I, you wouldn't listen. You say, he has eaten. And for goodness, some things that impress human beings don't impress God. And he doesn't want them to impress you. Let each person do his job. I can assure you of one thing, and I'm not lying about it. I'm absolutely certain. Or Ted Allah does not eat better than me. Pastor Van, what do you mean? What, am I, what, what is he eating? You know, poverty makes you think funny thoughts. When you are poor, you assume the man is eating gold. It's not eating gold. Yes. It's the same Gary you turn that they turn in his house. What you don't realize is that he probably is watching his weight drastically. He goes to the mall, he doesn't take ice cream. The only difference is that if I buy for 500 naira, he may buy for 6,000. The agusi he uses is not more fortified than the one I use. I hope you are getting my point. No, take an example. People who emigrate abroad as adults. Like, I talk about my friend who's in the U.S. You get to his house. If they close your eyes, put you on his dining table, and you open the eyes, you won't know whether you're in Enugu or you're in Texas. There's no difference. You can't tell. See, if they close your eyes, drop you. If they close your eyes like blindfold and drop in his sitting room, in his dining. Time for food. When they remove the blindfold and look at your plate of food, you won't know whether you're in Enugu or you're in Texas. Why? It is the same Gary he turns. The same yam. The same, you're still everything. So if I ever go to his house, I don't miss home. They are missing food. In Why? This is the food right here. He shops in African shops. The only difference, however, is that the food is expensive. So if you are going to visit people like that abroad, they want to, what should I bring for you? You know, a pepper blender. 
You know, the normal crayfish just bla- <laughs> The first time I went to the U.S., many years ago. So I got to the airport. Time to check your luggage. The guy just asked me, look at my card. So you have full stuff in the second. The other lady see it. I said, no problem. I just moved to the lady said, you're welcome, United States. Do you have a goosey? I burst into laughter. He said, do you have a goosey? I said, you know a goosey? He said, ah, come on, Nigerians pass through here every day. I said, okay, it's true, it's true. I said, ah, I said they carry. Ah, of course, he said, look, you guys pass through here every day. I have to. Just ask, is it, is it blended? I say, yes, I good. No, they are used to it. I'll be carrying your Nigerian food. They go. <laughs> no, it's that day. I was so surprised. It was my first time. People, they, this is what they want you to bring. Don't bring. What, what else do you want to bring anyway? What I'm going to say is that the people eat normally. They won't say now nah, because I'm American. Now nah, give me broccoli. Have you ever tasted broccoli? No taste. That's why you didn't taste it. If I put broccoli in your food, you won't know it's there. You just swallow it. <laughs> Nothing. How can you eat African vegetable? You won't know it passed through your mouth. They give you a nubu. You don't know you enter your mouth. <laughs> the Lord is good. The point I'm making is that don't assume that because a man is a billionaire, he's eating differently. In fact, I don't know how many people... There's some particular African writer series those days. One man interviewed a cook. Say, what can you cook? The guy and itemized all the French cuisines... The English cuisines, the Italian cuisines, the man looked at the guy and said, you can't make a goosey. <laughs> the guy like, what did you say, sir? He said, a goosey, you can't make a bono. Uh, the man said, now nah, woman, they cook that one. He said, they go and get me a woman. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> no, he came from, you know, like a hotel, prepares continental dishes. And, no, the man, rich man, said, please, you can't make a goosey. If you can't make a goosey, then what are you doing here? The point I mean, listen, the rich man is not necessarily eating more. If anything, he's spending a lot of money on how not to eat. He has hired a dietitian that's helping him eat less. How many old men do you see swallowing ice cream the way you swallow ice cream? No, go there. Go to that uh, expensive ice cream section in the mall. All you see there small, small girls. 98% small, small girls. Then a little older men behind paying the money. <laughs> the day you see a 60 year old man there, come, come and call me. You won't find him there doing what? So it distorts my stomach. <laughs> and they are the, the older men, the ones that have all the money in society. I hope you know. Uh, most of the money, they are the ones that own most of the money in the society. But they don't want to eat anything. What I'm going to explain. The way we, you know, the way in our minds we're looking for money is all, that's poverty mentality. Just assume that all your problems is hinged on having more cash. Don't ever forget it. God is not trying, listen, everybody that you see that has plenty of cash around them in life, they are doing a job. It's a job. Were enough for the job they had, God doesn't give people excess money. He will supply all your needs. That's what Paul said. According to his riches, all your needs. Why didn't he say God will supply all your wants? You know the reason why? He knows that the wants are irrational many times. Most of our wants are irrational. They are based on reasons that change every 24 hours. After 24 hours, you want something else. You know, was it this morning? 
Yes, early this morning. I had to check something online. I was having a problem making a decision about what, what I really, what exactly I wanted. After a while, I said, Lord, you know exactly what I'm looking for now, even though I could not decide on it. I said, Lord, please, I leave it to you to help me make a choice. And, you know, instantly I understood how we would do it. I just knew how. Now, I don't mean I know the whole process, but I know how it does with me is that you open this door, close this door, arrange this thing, shut this one off. After a while, I just find one right in front of me. Say, okay, pay for this, you pay for it. How did you come to this? It's God that the Lord has led me here. Because I've told him exactly what, listen, what the needs are. The wants sometimes is how you want to supply a need. I want to meet, I don't know whether you're getting my point. For example, many times in life, you know why people take drugs? Why they take cocaine? Why they go on drugs? They are looking for satisfaction. So, have you ever heard this thing before? There is a Jesus-sized hole in your heart. There's a God-sized hole in your heart. Those things are true. They are not lies. They are true. And many times when people are trying to satisfy, because when the Lord is not in there, the heart actually is yearning for something that he does not understand. So that's where experimentation begins. I hope you're getting my point. People start doing everything that is legal and illegal. As a matter of fact, they start doing both the legal and the, what I mean by legal, the man starts drinking. See, Igbo is now legal in much of the world. It's legal. You know what they start doing? They start smoking it. They don't get the satisfaction. They don't. Then after a while, I feel sorry for the people all over the world now legalizing Indian hemp. You know why they do it? They are tired of enforcing the opposite. So they are yielding to the popular demand. Then when that one is not satisfactory, what do people go for next? They start smoking. They go for cocaine. Heroin. The day I knew human beings were dead was when Prince, was it Prince that died? When I found out that he overdosed on fentanyl, I was shocked. Do you know why I was shocked? The last time I heard of fentanyl was when I was in, still in clinical practice, especially when we were medical students. Fentanyl was used, first, we only used it on patients that were under anesthesia. Who's been managed by an anesthetist? Why? Guaranteed to make sure you can't breathe. I hope, I hope you get my point. I was shocked to find that people were using it illegally. You know heroin? Fentanyl is about 15 times more potent than heroin. They do exactly the same thing. It's much more potent than heroin. Heroin is a small boy where fentanyl is. To now make it worse, it has become cheap. Chinese people make it by the tons. So when they told me Prince died from overdose of fentanyl, that was the first day I realized it was not a drug of addiction. So why would anybody, you know, I still had my medical student's mind. Why would anybody want to inject fentanyl? I, the first time I heard of it, we were in theater. And the anesthetist was explaining things to us that, okay, this patient is, told one story that he has to reduce the amount of halotin he's giving because of this and that, which means that the patient might wake up because he can't keep on adding halotin because the heart is this. It was just explaining to you. So what is he doing? He draws fentanyl and injects it. It's so potent, he won't feel the knife cut. What's his reason? In case he wakes up, he won't feel the knife. So we had serious respect for fentanyl. I hope you're getting my point. Then years later, they said somebody died. And why did he die? He injected himself fentanyl. How, who does that? That's why I said, man, this world is really dead meat. This world is in more trouble than we realize. We don't understand it. 
This world, well, not for the church, this world has gotten to a place where God should drown everybody again. It's really terrible. Now, what am I trying to explain? When people do all of this and they start taking things like fentanyl, you do what? Wonder. Why? They mix drugs, all kinds of things. Remember the story I told you about butt naked? A man used PCP to cut his cocaine. He had a lot of PCP. It's a drug. A drug of addiction also. It's what they call cutting. What is cutting? To reduce the concentration of another drug and make more money. So instead of giving them pure heroin, you cut it, mix it with uh, glucose or something. So he decided to use PCP to cut, I think, cocaine. Because he had a lot of PCP. So the first person he sold it to, that one after taking the drug, removed his clothes in his apartment and ran onto the street naked. So you know what he felt? He was describing this thing on TV, you know, documentary, but of course he is disguised and all of that. He said he felt that, ah, my business is over. Nobody will buy this thing again. By that time, he had already mixed it. That when they see what he's doing to people, they won't buy. To his shock, he was still there thinking about his business. When a customer knocked <laughs> and said, whatever you give to that guy, I want it. <laughs> yes, true story. The customer just, one of his guys just said, I don't care. Just whatever you give that. <laughs> he said, I want it. So people will literally, will take his drug, jump, 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 run out of the street naked. What am I saying of these things? They are actually looking for, there is a need they have. But they are using something else they want to satisfy it. I don't know whether you're getting my point. Do you know why you won't take okay? Let me tell you. I'm not joking. I'm not saying it because we're in church, you know, where I want to preach nice. This is a matter of fact. Why you won't take cocaine is that Jesus is satisfying. We used to say something those days when we were in university. In fact, we had t-shirts on it. They said, get high on the most high. It was just like a cliche, you know, but when I became older, and I said, it's not a joke. We actually get high on the most high. Everything, look, things that you imbibe in this life, they affect you emotionally. And believe me, Jesus is the most intoxicating of the lot. Yeah. And that's why, listen, a committed Christian is difficult for you to hook him on alcohol. It's difficult, unless he's not working with God. Because that space has been taken. The high people want, all right, from taking alcohol, from taking drugs. Jokes apart, I'm not kidding about this. I get it from preaching. Yeah, I get it from preaching. I don't know how many of us followed us online in Sokoto. The first day I preached, by the time I was done, I looked at that whole thing and said, whatever you people planted here is working. <laughs> and whatever you people planted here, the prayer anointing. Because by the time I was done preaching, eh, I was floating in my, you know, inside me, I was floating. That first day, my God, when, when I was done preaching, I felt electrocuted. That's the only way I can say it. I don't, okay, electrified. Which one is better? Electrocuted is don't die, Abby. Okay. Eh. <laughs> I felt electrified. Of course, the whole atmosphere charged. That's what people are looking for when they sniff something. That's what they are looking for when they inhale something. That's what they are looking for when they inject something, when they swallow something. For us believers, you know, sometimes my wife and I will discuss, I say, those who don't know God, how do they survive? 
It's a serious question. How do they survive? I'm thinking, when you have problems, what do you do? When the weight of this world tries to drive, you know, crush you, drive you into despair, make you want to commit suicide. Why would I want to commit suicide when they can, I can hang Jesus Christ? I don't know why you're getting my point. I hope you caught what I said. Why would I hang myself when Jesus is there to be hung? I will hold him like this. Say, Jesus, lie, lie. The time I'll be killing myself, I'll be there crying at his knees. I hope you're getting my point, at his feet. So I wonder, those who don't know the Lord, what do they do? You know, please, if you can tell me, how do you cope? That's why they go to Babalao. Because you must go somewhere. In this life. Now, of course, if I was not a Christian, I wouldn't know what I know now, as a matter of fact. But if I did, bros, I must join a cult. Anyway, that's why I'm a believer. I've, I've joined my own already. If you want to preach to people, tell them, see this is, there's a cult I want to initiate you into. It's a cult of Jesus Christ. That's our protection. That's where we hide. You know, there are people that have to kill a cock every day. Yeah. Every day they must kill a cock at a certain time. It must be, sometimes they give it, they give it color. If they tell you it is black cock, you, you won't know why black cock is expensive in town because the number of people are looking for it for protection. But you know where my black cock is? Psalm 91. Thank you. In Christ. It's in Christ. I just opened the scripture. And now, so for those who don't have faith in the scriptures, I just wonder, how do they manage? That's how they be going from one shrine to another. They are cutting their back, cutting their chest. They are injecting something. They are hiding something that they are cloth tied on their waist. There's what Yoruba man calls Ajesara. You know what Ajesara is? No, Yoruba is Okay, ah, madam, you did here. You never teach them Ajesara. You know, Ajesara is a, basically most kinds of, most types of um, chance people use is somewhere on your body. It's on your, it's in your hand. You've tucked inside your pockets, on your waist, around your neck, behind you. But there's one in which you have swallowed. These other ones, they say, you can't enter water. You know, that kind of thing. So you want, you want to base thing called, the devil is waiting that time. Should we go back? <laughs> so, you will remove it and hang it. That is when they will now catch the individual. They have different types. Some of them, your wife can't touch. So what do you do? So there are times you remove it when you want to sleep. Abby? Then they will catch you that time. So people tend to have different types. But those who have entered, you get my point? They do the highest levels of sacrifice. They swallow their own. They swallow it. So we we'll call it a jesara. That it will don't end, it will don't chop out for body. That's literal translation. We've eaten it into the body. Now what I'm trying to say, when I see things like that, it reminds me of Christ. Except to eat my flesh and drink my blood. I hope you are getting my point here. Christ is part of us. So I don't have to, you know, for those of you who need to wear something, you know, because some of our churches, we like things like that. We give people something to wear. You not tie a mantle and put oil in your pocket. Bros. <laughs> Leave that side. What did I say? Leave that side. Grow. Grow. Tell your neighbor, grow, I beg. I'm not saying it's a sin, but please, you know, grow. Grow. The word is nigh thee, even in your mouth. I hope you get my point. The word of faith which we preach. That's where it's supposed to be. It's in there. Are you getting my point? Carrying things up and down. Mm. You can't be carrying things. Christians, you can't carry things. Listen, you can use something to minister to somebody. I hope you're getting my point. 
But please, it's bordering on, the, on idolatry when you want to start carrying things. Yes, you want to travel, you tie mantle to your car, your head is not working. You see people tie mantle inside engine. You tie mantle behind the, the front door for protection. Christian, please, let's, let's, listen, let's stop this joke. I appreciate, let me explain what I say. If you read the Bible, these things were not like that. I appreciate you using objects to minister to people. Is anyone sick amongst you? Let him call upon the elders of the church. Let them pray over him. Doing what? Anointing him with oil. The oil will save the sick. Is that, is that what the Bible says? Uh, wait, wait, wait. What do you mean? Which Bible are you reading? What did the Bible say? The prayer of faith will save the sick. It's not the oil. The prayer of faith. So I call that oil, what Avanzini called those, a faith extender. I hope you're getting my point. Jesus ministered different ways. He anointed people's eyes with um, spit, clay. He laid hands. They chose the hem of his garment. There are different manifestations, for sure. So I tell believers, you can use some things to minister to people, but you cannot be a carrier of objects for your own protection. No, it's not, that's not right. I mean, so I don't have any problem with it. Like, I, I want to go and, I remember once I want to go and minister to somebody. So my pastor sent me. So he couldn't go. He said, go. So, okay. So he brought a bottle of oil, prayed over it. Okay, I anoint the person with this. And I took it, went to the hospital there. I told the man, all right, pastor, I should come and see you, all right? He can't come. I apologize. Of course, he wanted the pastor to come. I apologize on pastor's behalf. I said, I've come on his behalf. And I brought the bottle of oil. I said, he prayed over this. I'm going to join my prayer with his, and I'm going to anoint him with this. And the man testified that as soon as I poured the oil on him, he felt something touch his body. There's nothing wrong with that. You hear the handkerchiefs taken from the bodies of, body of Paul. was taken to the sick. Literally, he gets impregnated with the spirit. Listen to me. It's one discharge. It's one. It's not as if, eh, polo. <laughs> you now hide it. And then somebody comes and says, get me my handkerchief. What do you look like? Babalao. No. So we, we, we do use that. I, I'm not, please, I'm not taking anything away from it. You can tell me somebody's at home. It happens a lot. Ah, pray for the person. Please, I can't come. I'm traveling right now. Get me a handkerchief. And we'll put our hands on it. It will be just like I'm laying hands on that individual. So okay, take the handkerchief, put it on the person. If indeed there's anointing in my hands, it will enter into it, and it will rest on that individual when you get there. But please, don't say, oh boy, now go from bed to bed. It doesn't work like that. But most importantly, as a child of God, you can't look at that as a source of power for yourself. You can't. You can't. That's just by the way. The point I'm making is this. Why we Christians don't join cults? I need to keep emphasizing this. It's not because, listen, in this life, you must be in a cult too. Let me tell you, if you are not in cult, let me tell you what will happen to you. Let me just warn you now. So if you are following us online, if you are not in a cult, those who are in cult will use you to do sacrifice. They will eat you. Eat your liver. They tell you, you have liver cirrhosis. It's witches. So you have dementia. They eat your brain. Those who have more power than you will use you for something. And you know the truth is that, I, I, well, well, listen, they know how to do it. There's manipulative you know, machinations going on. 
They will give you a woman that's not your wife and you will collect. That's, they will sink a hook into your soul. And they know what how to do it. They'll be talking you anyhow. You'll pull your intestine into your mouth. Listen, those guys will use you for suya. You wake up in the morning, you'll be smelling onion. You won't know why. <laughs> they have roasted you overnight. I'm telling you, they are eating you bit by bit. You are dead in the next six years. From one hospital to another. Witches kill people. Let me tell you this. Don't, look, don't think I don't believe in witchcraft. Witches kill people. They chew human beings. That's why you have to enter your own cult. That is protection. You have to be in a higher cult. So, I, I, I did it the safe way. I know you did it the safe way. And if you are listening to me, you have not done it, do it the safe way too. You enter the highest cult. And what is the highest of the cult? Christ. Christ. What is the deepest of the cult? Christ. What is the widest of the cult? Christ. There is no power, none at all, that can come, no witch can cut my hair. Not one. One strand, they can't, they smoke. Even the one that smoke, normally the smoke will clear when it comes close. Because when my, when my angel slap you, even if you took fentanyl, you will wake up. No, you know, seriously. That is why, as God is my witness, I don't lie down at night and say, the witches are against me. If I had to mention your name, I say, witches are against me, sorry for you. That's the only thing I can say. I won't say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I begin to bind every power against my destiny, every witch. I say, wait, did I collect their wife? No. I took their money? No. Let me say boldly, the devil cannot do me anything. Witches can't do me anything. You can't touch. I'm talking, my hair you can't touch. Who's talking about my kidney or my liver? The only person whose finger is allowed to touch any of those parts of my body, his name is Jesus Christ. And who will separate me? What will separate me from the love of Christ? So if Jesus is touching my kidney, it's for healing purposes. If he's touching my liver, he's removing every impurity. Say, Banky, I've told you to stop eating things like this. Look at the way they stain your liver. Say, Lord, I'm sorry. You, would, you know, this is how you would dust it. Liver will be clean. As for the witches, if I see them when I'm passing, all I will do them is like this. They, they can't even withstand that look. If I do which like this, he will go blind. As the Lord lives, he will go blind. If I wish and I'm doing like this, just remove your eye because. <laughs> Telling you. So that's the joy of being in Christ Jesus. That's why I don't want to go anywhere else. You know, like Bishop Wedipo will say those days, what do you want to use to attract me? Is it prosperity? I have more than you have. Real prosperity. We're not, we're not counting money. You are deceived. Because read the Bible, Jesus said it clearly. Some people think they are rich, but they, they are poor. Some people appear poor, but indeed they are rich. So I have riches. Is it protection? Habba. <laughs> you know, one of our guys, the daddy told me something. It's not as if it was new. He knows people, big people, big politicians, you know, big military officers, big policemen. You know, because of the kind of work he does, he interacts with them. He said, oh, God. Those people can fear. He says, sir, they are afraid. And that's why fake pastors, they take them chopo. Oh, 
Apostle, just the problem is that you want to live long. If you are not planning for live long life, eh, I'll show you how to make it in two days. <laughs> no, you know, some pastors are not planning to prosper. Are you getting my point? True pros, they are not. So they get involved because you can feed, they feed on the fears of these people. And the people, listen to me, are legitimately afraid. It's not just superstition. They really are afraid. People kill each other spiritually to take their positions. They will say, ah, I want to occupy. I say, one man is already there. Ah, he's there. What will it take? Say, ah, no, no, no. As long as that man is alive. As long as he's alive. <laughs> one of my colleagues told me a story once. Now, let me tell you something. He's not a very superstitious person, even though he has had experiences. He said his father was doing good churchman until they tried to kill him. That they took his father somewhere and said they needed to cook his father. For protection. Now listen to what he told me. Somebody I know very well. I'm not telling you story of long story, story, story. Somebody or somebody I know very well. Who normally is not very religious and superstitious, even though he goes to church. He said his father, that they tried to dissuade his father from getting into black magic and all those kind of things. He said the man explained why he had to. No, we stream live, so many things I can't just say. But let me just finish my gist. He says, sir, my father entered the pot. They covered it. Cooked him literally in the pot. He appeared down the road. No, they were in a shrine. The man showed up from behind the tree there and came back out. That they tested things on the man. No, test. Test. The man was cooked. So these are things he saw with his own eyes. If I was telling him this story, he said, when the man was going to die, he said, I was just looking at him. He said, okay, all this cooking now. Because the man wasted slowly. One sickness after the other, one hospital here and dead dragging. The day the man died, he came to my and told him that. He broke into tears. Of course, I, I, I can understand. He said, I was looking at the man like this. He said, okay. So all this cooking up and down, is this where it ends? Just by the way. You cannot be cooked away from death. No. The only person that can keep you from death, his name is Jesus Christ. I'm telling something about believers. No which can kill a Christian. The only person who can offend that you will die is Jesus Christ. Listen, let me say it clearly. No which, listen. If I finish preaching like this today, I die tomorrow. Don't feel like, hey, he was challenging the witches. Listen to me. If I die, any witch, listen to what I'm saying. It's not a joke. If a true child of God dies, I'm raising this into the air. I'm not joking about this. Any way that claims that, God will kill you and kill everybody that's around you. To make a point. If you are a witch, so hear it well. If a righteous saint of God dies, shut your mouth. Listen, the, let me, it's in the Bible like that. The man that did not kill Saul, that claimed he killed Saul. Jesus, David offed him. And Jesus is still doing that till today. If a saint of God dies, you open your mouth, you claim it. Jesus will punish you so badly. You know why? His glory doesn't share with anybody. Only him can kill his own people. He takes them home for various reasons. There are times he will say, come into rest. The person may be young and God will say, come into rest. He does it. Sometimes he will say, your work is done. Come. Jesus does not leave us on this earth. Unless we have something to do for him. That's why Paul said, for me to live is Christ. 
What it means is that living is working for Christ. Because actually death is gain. The only person that can take the believer is Jesus Christ. I don't care how the person dies. Sometimes we annoy him. He corrects us first time, we don't listen. Second time, we don't listen. Third time, we don't listen. The fourth time is the last. Say it's enough. This boy, this girl is not planning to listen. So I have to withdraw him from service. Can I again tell the story of the Lord told him that in end of 55, the Lord in the, on 59, he said by the end of 65, the person that stands currently in the forefront as the prophetic, you know, forefront in the body of Christ at that time, he said, I'm removing him. The Lord told him, I will remove him. He said, why? He said, because his preaching is leading the people, my people astray. Let me add my own words to it, because it, which is true. I have corrected him again and again. He wouldn't listen. So I'm removing him. And a drunk driver slammed into his car and killed him. Only Jesus can remove his people. Any loud-mouthed witch that wants to claim it has claimed death, has claimed destruction, not only for himself or herself, but for the loved ones around him or her who have not personally repented. Hey, just by the way, if you are, whether you are young or old, personally know Jesus Christ too. Do you know why? People die for other people's sins. I know what I'm telling you. The only protection is your personal knowledge of Christ. What do I mean? If your father sins and sins, sometimes the children... What did he say about Jezebel in Revelation? He said, I will strike her children dead. And she herself I will put on the bed of affliction. Did the boys say? Did the children say? No. The mama, I say. And Jesus said it that I will strike those children dead. Like I was teaching my children, listen, you are not too young to personally know the Lord. Jeroboam, the whole family was wiped out. But they said the boy that was sick, the child would get a decent barrier. Why? Something good was found in him. So I'm preaching to everybody, whether you are young or old, get to know the Lord personally. It's an important thing. Let me say what I said before. Let me say it again. If you are a witch, you are an occultist, you say you are an oboni, whatever you are, when a child of God, a servant of Christ dies, zip your mouth. Don't lay claim to it. We know. As a matter of fact, you are lying. I'm just saying don't lie that lie. The man who came to David as he was the one that killed Saul, we know he lied. Saul was already dead when he got there. He just wanted to make quick money. And that was how he died. I know what I'm saying, no? The place to hide is in Christ. That is where to hide. That is, you give your life to Christ and live like a believer. That is the only safety on this earth. And let to add that. Why we don't join cults? Why we don't get high on Igbo? Is that we are smoked up all the time. <laughs> we are not drunk with wine. We are, do, we are what? Filled with the Spirit. So there's no space for Igbo in my, in, my, in, in my soul. The space has been taken. The Holy Spirit has taken it. The Spirit of God is occupying everywhere. 
So if I smoke you now, where do you want to affect me? Every receptor is taken. It's called competitive inhibition. I hope you like that in English. Every receptor has been taken by the Holy Spirit. And if I don't want to get high on anything, I make sure I'm constantly filled with the Spirit. That's what Paul told us in that Philippians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Say, be not drunk with wine. But what? Be filled with the Spirit. The assignment we have as believers, we don't need to be drunk with wine. I began this by trying to explain something. That's why people, you know, sometimes people are trying to satisfy, remember that's where I began from, satisfy what? A need. The need is genuine. The need is genuine. But the want is the way by which we want to satisfy the need. And that's why when Paul wanted to pray, he said, my God shall supply all what? Your needs. According to his riches in glory. You know, sometimes when we are very worldly and covetous, we will say, according to what? His plenty naira and plenty dollars in glory. He didn't say so. He said, according to what? His riches. You must understand, his riches includes knowledge. I hope you're getting my point. So sometimes, you think you need money. He says, no, you don't need money. This money you are looking for, I know what you want to use it to achieve. You know, one of the things, you know, you know, I began all of this by trying to explain something. Let's not forget what God is really trying to do in our lives. He's not trying to make us rich. He's trying to execute his will through us. One of the things he does, this is so important. Money is a very powerful thing. Money is so powerful that one of the things he does is to remove our wisdom. <laughs> Where do you think I was going? And sometimes, so that your wisdom will be intact, God has to remove the money for a while. Because it's what is called hidden wisdom. It's inside there. But you are not using it. Why? You have too much money, so there's no need to think. And God said, I need to develop your thinking capacity. Do you know, let me give you an example now. You give a, <laughs> you give a young man money. Maybe I can look up to me and say, that please, I, want, I need to buy a shirt and a pair of trousers. And I give him just enough money to buy one shirt and a pair of trousers. You know, when he gets there, he will exercise himself in making the best choice. Why? The money is enough for how many shirts? One. And one pair of trousers. But if I give him money, say, I need a pair of trousers, I give him money to buy ten. Guaranteed, he will buy at least eight useless ones. Guaranteed. You know why? He's a human being. That's just the way human beings are. Now, what is happening is that I'm, I will hinder his ability for critical analysis. So if you raise a child like that, he will never be able to critically analyze anything. Now, I had a friend that does this. We used to yap him. We used to mock him. Do you know why? He didn't know how to share. You see what I'm talking about? I'll explain. And he explained to us once that he has never had to share anything in his life. That every time his father went out, if he wanted to buy maybe this black pair of slippers, he buys for everybody. I don't know whether you're getting my point. That everything, look, if, the, if you want television, he'll buy you your own TV, buy you your own TV. So that's how his father raised them up. So by the time he came to school, he did not know how to share. So if he leaves his slippers here, he expects his slippers to be on the same spot. Because all his life, nobody ever took his slippers. And nobody needed to take his slippers because they all had. 
And he confessed that, look, that it was when he got to school that he started sharing things. He wasn't a bad person. Just his capacity for sharing had not been developed. Sometimes we are raising children. The fact that you have money doesn't mean you give them everything. Sometimes you just want to tell them, let me explain to you that you can live without it. So I need this thing. You are not getting it. Why? I want you to understand that it's not everything that you have appetite for that you will get. So that's why they get, to, they, they are raised up to understand that I can be denied. And it's not a big deal. A lot of those people who just go, I, I, I don't know about Nigeria, but we read a lot of news from abroad, you know, they rape, they kill. They just can't understand the no. That no, they've never heard it before. They've never heard the no. Everything they want, mommy gives, daddy gives. So they don't realize that life doesn't behave like that. Too. When you come out of life, the boss will look at you in the morning and say you are fired. So the guy doesn't get it, so he gets a gun and shoots the boss for telling him he's fired. Why? He has never been fired. He's the one that's been firing his father, firing his mother. So when you now fire him, he fires you. Are you getting my point? This time around, literally, gets a gun and he shoots. What I have just discovered is that that's how God is with us also. He's developing us as individuals. He looks and says, okay, okay, I will make you hungry. Then I will feed you with manna. Why? I want to know what's inside your heart. Whether you will obey me when things are tough or you only obey me when things are comfortable. Please, I hope you're getting my point. Because sometimes when we are preaching to Christians, you know, this God wants you to prosper. God wants you to in the name of Jesus. Begin to name it and begin to claim it. God sometimes deliberately says, no, I'm not giving you now. Is it not about scriptures? Did he not say it? He made you hungry. He could have prepared a manna ahead. He said, no, after everything you have seen in Egypt, let me see how you will react to hunger. And of course, they reacted very badly. And that's why they died in the wilderness. Many of us think that faith is their ability to claim. Let me tell you, faith is not your ability to claim. The first thing about faith is your ability to lay things down. I keep on telling people, say that, look, you know, you want to believe God to get something. Anything you cannot believe God to lay down or believe God to give, you don't have faith to get it. You are deceiving yourself. Your faith is not genuine. It's faulty. The faith that only grabs and grabs and grabs is not a genuine kind of faith. Real faith is how we put down Isaac. I hope you are getting my point. Faith helps us to do what? Put Isaac down on the altar. No, let me explain what faith does. We, we, we tend to forget what faith really is. Faith is that Abraham, after a long time, finally got his son. His boy's name is Ishmael. And the boy was growing up. We thank God. So maybe this is the promise of God fulfilled. Then one day, Isaac was born. Ah, okay. Oh, finally. Then God said, oh, that, no, but, no, sorry, I forgot to mention. First, Isaac was not yet born. When God said, your wife will give birth to Isaac. And he prayed for Ishmael. Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. Now, listen to what faith does. A time came. Um, Sarah said, drive away the bondwoman and her son. And the Bible says the thing was what? Grievous in the sight of Abraham. Why? Because of his son. That boy, at that point, I hope you know, was not a child. was a teenager. The boy was a teenager. He had grown. And he felt very bad. Now, listen to what faith is. 
God now came and said, obey the voice of your wife concerning that matter. Faith meant that he told the boy, listen to me. Faith meant that he left the boy to go, physically speaking, to die in the wilderness with, her, with, with, with his mother. The only thing that kept those people is the promise of God. You know, remember he had prayed, oh, that Ishmael was, leave. So by faith, he let the boy go. By faith, he let Ishmael go. See, we are talking about the breath of faith. How faith expresses itself. One of the major ways faith expresses itself is by the things that we can let go. Not what we can grab. Many of us don't let anything go unless they promise we'll get something back in return. Let me explain what I'm saying. I know what I'm saying. <laughs> See, we're talking about 100 million naira and uh, 20 million naira a week, remember. Let me tell you what happened to Abraham. Abraham went and fought and won over goods that belonged. I knew Abraham was rich that time. You know that. Was he rich or poor that time? But what, let me ask you a simple question. There's no cash to it. What it took as spoils of war, was he, was he as much as what he had or he didn't have? Think about it for a moment. Was he as much as what he had? Was he more than what he had? Which of the two? You are afraid to answer. Okay, let's analyze it together. Did Abraham personally at that time have more than a whole city? And the thing he got in battle was from a whole city. I can assure you one thing, what he collected back in battle was more than what he had. And the king of Sodom came and said to him, take all the goods, just give me the people back. And you know what he said? No. You will say I made Abraham rich. If Abraham was already very rich at that point in time, that statement would not have been relevant. The truth that Abraham was going somewhere. See, I don't want this man to say he was the one that helped me go there. Listen, faith helped him to what? Release everything. Many of us are grabby, grabby people by faith. But we can't let anything go by faith. How many people can take the American passport and toss into the fire by faith? Think about it for a moment. How many people can... Uh, we're talking American passport. Certificates. You know, American passport is value, more valuable than BSE. <laughs> you get my point. <laughs> people are willing to. How many people, as a matter of fact, can take their certificate and throw it away by faith? I'm not saying go away and be tearing paper. But just think about it for a moment. How many things can we let go of by faith? How many? If the only thing you can do by faith is to grab, you don't have faith. You're a joker. You are clowning. You don't have faith. There are times you look at the job opening and say, I don't believe it's the kind of thing God is calling me to do. So, boy, do you know the money inside there? I said, I don't believe it's the kind of thing God is calling me to do in this life. But this is what you are going for. Now, they don't even pay up to one-fifth of this one. Say, yes, but this is more in line with my calling. That's how faith people talk. Like I said at the beginning, we have gone to a point where we want to justify everything. People want to give scripture to support why if somebody offers you 20 million naira a week in salary, you won't ask him, what exactly are you selling? It's because God can do everything. No, God can also give me information on why only you, in all these society, the, the, the communities around, can afford to pay your accountant 20 million naira a week. You must be Pablo Escobar. They say, no, don't ask. Why won't I ask? It's strange. You are doing something that is strange. But many times why we don't want to ask such questions is because we are afraid of the answer. Yes, now. 
We are afraid. We know if we know the truth, we have to let go. Is that let go that is a problem? I began this by trying to explain something. Let's not forget. We are discussing faith and stuff. You know, that's where I began all of that from. What God is doing in our lives is not what many people are thinking of. His primary assignment is not to prosper us. His primary assignment is not to make us rich, make us famous, make us successful the way the world talks about success. It's not the primary assignment. What is most important to him is the purity of the faith that is inside our hearts. It is the most important thing to the Lord in everything that we are doing. That is why Jesus will look at a man that has a lot of money and he'll say, sell all you have and give to the poor. Then you come and follow me and you will discover eternal life. Because if it was that wealth he was looking at, you know, it was focused on, why does the man have to sell all he had? He already had it. The way many of us preach, then go to shouldn't go to church. He already has what we are looking for. But do you know if he met Jesus Christ, Jesus would tell him something different. Jesus said, come. Sell, sell it, fine. Dash it to NMPC. He said, NMPC, okay, okay, give it to the dollar, leave NMPC. Sell everything. You know, Jesus can humble people. Hey, if Jesus catches you, you become humble. Next thing you will see, you will see crusade in one village, not too far from um, Ogoja there. And you see that God is the one leading. He's <laughs> not the one preaching, he's the one leading praise and worship. Praise the Lord. Is that not a legal? This is what Jesus has given him to do. That's what, you are laughing. Was that not what Jesus did with the, asked that young man to do? He said, sell all you have, give to the poor, then you come and what? Come and follow me. I know what it means to follow Jesus Christ. They will send you out two by two. To go and preach. He tell him, say, look, I used to be very rich. If anybody tried me for this place, you don't know, don't know what we gave up to reach here. Any demon where you catch, you go use your anger, cast her out. Say, so let me show you the power we collected by letting go of everything we had. The point I'm making, however, don't ever forget it. What impresses us outside does not impress the Lord. That is so crucial. So the, where we began that story from? So when they say that uh, 300, we are going to make 100 million naira from a job, then you forsake agreements and arrangements you have had. You may just be failing a critical test. You may just be failing a critical test. Everything in life, listen to me, is a test. And it's the passing of that test in our lives that is critical to the Lord. Let's not forget that. The Lord is good. I didn't even know I've spoken for this long, but I need to say something. We're reading somewhere earlier, right? Okay, so I was explaining from that James. Now, no, okay, now I remember something I was saying earlier. Let me, I need to develop that. It's so important we get this. As time goes on in life, there's a tendency for faith to, to diminish in the hearts of people. And no matter what it is we have achieved, if our faith goes down, we are losing out. Solomon did not end well. That's not a good testimony. Asa did not end well. That's not a good testimony. I was saying to, the, to us earlier, it worried me at a particular point in time. It worried me. But God gave me consolation from other people's lives. Okay, but I won't discuss that in details now. But I just wanted to bear that in mind. When Solomon became old, his faith has slipped. Let's read something. Hebrews chapter 1. 
Or is it chapter 2? Chapter 2, sorry. Verse 1. So for this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. Please bear it in mind. You just have a verse I want to bring out. I'll read the rest of it to get it in context, but bear that in mind. He said, for this reason, we must pay close attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was at the first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. God also testifying with them by both signs and wonders, and by various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. Now, what I want to bring out is that first verse, uh, were two verses. First, the fact that things tend to drift, or we tend to drift away. If you read the King James, it says that they slip away from us. If you have a King James, you can check that. King James says, use the expression, that these things have a habit of slipping away from us. Where I read, alright, it says, lest at any time we should let them sleep. My Bible says we are the ones that drift away. Whatever it is, a distance is created between us and what we thought we had. And please, what I'm saying, as I said at the beginning, is very important. There's a tendency, it's a risk of life, that faith diminishes with time. It's a risk of life that we tend to drift away. Asa did great things for the Lord. But because of prosperity... He was so encumbered by administering the prosperity that God had given to him that he slipped away from him. Let me say something to us quickly again. When in the 36th year, was it 35th year, when problem came to Asa? Now, this is what the Lord was doing. The Lord was waking him up. Did you hear what I said? I'm not sure you heard me. What was the Lord doing? Anytime you're, you know, I spend most of the time trying to explain that what is most important to the Lord is what? The faith that you hold in your heart. That's what we transit from here into eternity. You know your car is not going to drive you even to your graves. Eh? Even if they're building your house, your sitting room, that's all. The whole house, you will not enter into the house in eternity. You will not carry the most successful company on this earth into eternity. Nobody will introduce you when you get to heaven. Oh, here comes um, this person, so so, but he was a billionaire on the earth. Build the most successful company. Jesus will call you by yourself. Give account for what you did on the earth. Which, listen to me, anything you did not command is not reckoned with. I hope you're getting my point. The only thing you really, the only thing you truly take away, it's not even the souls you want. Have you heard it before? They're going to take souls to meet the Lord. You ain't taking anybody to meet anybody. You are going all by yourself. The only thing you really take away is the Christ character that was developed in you while you were here on the earth. That's the only thing you did take away. Nothing else. So the Lord watches closely. And remember, that's for him is the gold in your life. When we say the Lord's portion is what? His people. Israel is the allotment of his inheritance. What God is looking for is the gold-filled human beings he's taking away. What I'm going to say is that the Lord's portion in this whole creation is his people. And he's looking for people who are pure. Whose faith, the faith in their hearts is held solid all the days of their life. So, anytime you are stepping away from your faith, you know what he does? He has to wake you up. Ken Higgins taught us so much. I like to quote him once in a while. 
There are people that the Lord, he said, he was praying for, I think, one of his relatives once or somebody. Different people. He has many stories about that. At least two or three that I can easily remember. And he says, pray for the person. The person is sick. Lord, heal the person. The Lord said, wait, wait. You know, it was a prophet going to tell him things. Leave him, let him die. Why? He said, this is the best time for him to die. Now, I'm going to use my own words now to explain some things. That this guy is so... He, used, he, he lives such a useless life. This is the only time I've caught him that his life is a bit pure. <laughs> now look at the last, maybe the last four months he's been going to church. He's been walking in love. He's been walking in faith. If this guy gets healed, I don't want Manasseh in my hands. Though. You know the story of Manasseh. Higgins said the Lord will tell him many times, leave him, let him die. They have waited for him for 20 something years to live his life right as a believer. That he gave his life to Christ at the age of 17. He's almost 40 years. He has never been straight for six months at a go. That the Lord will say there for six months, that in the last 30 years, there has not been six continuous months in which he was not backsliding. He was not backsliding. This is how he will backslide, come back, backslide. Say this one that we have caught him now, eh? Is the best he has ever been. It's a good time to go. If I say one man like that, he was praying for him. He put his hand on the man's head. And he began to pray. Then he felt somebody lift up his, lift off his hands on the man's head. So he thought it was the man himself. That the pressure was putting was too much. He put the hand back, closed his eye, began to pray. Then somebody would lift his hand away. Ah. So next time he put his hand back, this time he kept his eye open. Only to discover it was not the man. The man's hand was nowhere near his own. An invisible pair of hands to just remove his own. So he put his hand and said, Lord, what's going on? Lord said, leave him. He's going to die. Why is he going to die? He's just a young man. Say, so, yes, it's a good time for this young man to go home. This young man would not discipline himself. This young man asked him how long. He said, the Lord will tell him things. He will ask the family. Did something like this happen? They will confirm, yes. This really happened. He broke his back at a particular point in time. They put him in a cast. The man prayed, removed the cast, and began to walk, and it was fine. The Lord said, I healed him. So said, well, tell him to walk straight now. He won't walk straight. So this one, let me add my one. This one, oh, don't catch hands, oh. What's God saying? Let him transit into eternity with this. This is the purest he will ever be. If I leave him back on the earth, he will decompose. Listen, what I'm saying is very important. So that's why sometimes, listen, I keep on saying, if the Lord has to remove things from us, anything that is removing your, let's, let me say something to you. If you want to prosper as a believer, materially and all of that, don't look for money. Make sure that money cannot affect you. I don't know whether you're getting my point. Because God will not give it to you if you're wrong, you mentor. It's called love. If you have an irresponsible child, that if you give him a car, he will, he will kill himself inside. Will you buy a car for him? So I just ordered a new keke and a driver. I'm very rich, but the keke is your portion. You wouldn't give it to him, and that's what the Lord does. Because what is most important to him, what's most important to him, is not these things we are pursuing outside. So, as time goes on, sometimes our faith sleeps. That's what I'm going to emphasize. And that is why Paul said, let him that thinks he stands. Should do what? Take heed, lest he falls. Listen. There's a way we present the gospel. Let's not present the gospel to anybody 
to make it look as if there is no risk in his life. There are risks. The risks exist. They exist. Every day, you, what is it? You should check yourself to ensure what? To check whether you are still in the faith. Because sometimes people think they are in the faith, they are not. Listen to me. There are pastors that when you hear they are still, you know they are no longer in the faith. There's no. Now, I'm not against pastors, so. But I keep on saying pastors because they are our, they are supposed to be our high examples. So if I say there are pastors who are not in the faith, what I mean is how much more congregation? Do you get what I'm trying to say? Yes. I don't want to start filling your ears with bad stories. There are stories you hear, and if there's something about God there, you can get so used to it, you take it for granted. I don't believe, personally, that what David did to Uriah will have done it 20 years before that. He wouldn't have done it. He wouldn't have done it. The problem was when God has blessed you, you know, there's what is called rest. When you have entered into rest, you tend to become careless. You know, when you, were, when you didn't have money those days, you used to pray early in the morning. Your neighborhood, they knew you. That's how you will be praying morning after that is wake up early, bombard the whole atmosphere with prophecy. Then the more you prosper, the earlier you have to leave the house, the less you need to pray. I hope you're getting my point. Yeah, it's called taking the law for granted. That's literally what it is. That's literally what it is. They all look like, it doesn't matter. I'll pray in the car. Along the line, we'll talk, talk about it. There are little choices you make in life that shows that your faith is slipping away. There are little choices you make that will just show that your faith is slipping away. Like that kind of thing I'm saying. Assuming before, you were a dedicated person. You wake up early, you take time out to study and pray before you get about the business. But now every time you wake up, you're always in a hurry. And when your wife says, eh, I'll pray in the car, your faith is slipping. Why? Listen, the truth is that you now have less value for spiritual things. That's just what it is. I don't have time to go for Bible. So if they are streaming it, I'll join them by streaming. Let me say something to you, eh? oh, Father God. I pray I can explain this. What is more important to the Lord? Let me give an example. I'm teaching here right now, okay? Now, you've come up here this evening to spend your time to listen. Some people will say that they are playing one cup right now. Euro 2021. Or is it 2020? Okay, Euro 2020 is being played in 2021. It's not only them. We need to do Edo 2020 this year. I hope you know. That was National Sports Festival. We did it for 2020 in this year, so we can understand. This is my message. This is last year's message I'm preaching this year too. <laughs> I don't know for sure. Now, listen to what I want to say. There's a tendency, people do that once in a while. Who's playing this evening? This man. You, you show you're a man of God. <laughs> Look at the way he's knowing everything. But, okay. Don't be knowing these things. <laughs> There's somebody else answer. Eh? You're supposed to be the preacher here, my friend. As a prophet, you know? He said he does it. It's very spiritual. <laughs> now, let's assume, for example, the match is, uh, let's say, 5.30 or 6. So somebody says that. Let's go for Bible study. They say, ah, no, Portugal is playing. Who did you say? Germany. All right. Ah, no, that match is hot. No. Mention two or three guys who are playing. They are his favorite uh, players. Ah, no, no. You know what? Please let me get the CD. So I go to watch Portugal versus Germany. Then I miss Bible study. Then, because I'm a good Christian, I think, I will get the CD and listen to it later. Listen to me. It's not the CD that's the problem. It's not the words that's the problem. 
is a sense of value that you show to the Lord that they match between Portugal and Germany, which they play every every year. In quote, are you getting my point? Which they will also record. It's more important to you than being present where the word of God is being taught. That is what will lock the content of today's message away from you. Somebody else will also get the tape. But he did not misplace his priorities. He will hear the same message and it will open up to him. It will open up to him. Why? God didn't lock it because, you see, it's not letters. It is the understanding that God gives, the spirit of understanding that he imparts. That's the issue. And that is imparted for certain reasons. There are times the Lord will say, these people, they have so sinned against me. Whatever they hear, they must not understand. I will make sure they don't understand. So the person will hear and hear and hear, and he will never come to any understanding. Why? It's not the amount of time you spent hearing. It's the sense of value you displayed towards that thing. So like Christians don't get it. They think it's about, uh, no, just get me the tape. Why? I want to cook. You know what the Lord is saying? Shut down the food. Go and hear the word. When you come back, cook. As I'm going to be going on in this series, I'll be dropping things like this along the line. I want to say at the beginning, good enough, I've remembered now. My aim, I believe by the Spirit of God, is to show us how to assess our faith. Let me give an example. A practical one. It used to happen to me. If everybody is getting kata, 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 I collect. Is it a sin? It's not a sin. Then malaria, 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 I collect my portion. Then I come out every day, my tire don't go down. One problem, small, small problems after the other. You know, some people say, the devil is after me. I always look at the devil say, can you be after me? The devil say, lie, lie, not me. No, the devil knows. I always ask myself, thank you, what is going on? When did you suddenly become like that? Every little problem around is jumping on you. And I realize, it's simple. Go and check your life, Banky. You used to sit down and chop the word. You used to spend much time to study scriptures and feed your heart with the teaching of the word of God. You've not been doing it for some months now. That is how I take correction from that, for that. Let me give you another example. Sometimes somebody who's never used to bother, never bothered about anything, starts telling you that, look, I've just been thinking, at this age, a man should have his own house. At this age, by now he should have done this. Money is not the problem. It's called backsliding. The things that did not worry you before, when they start worrying you, you are, you are not becoming older and wiser. You are becoming, you are backsliding. I hope you are getting my point. There are people that will talk to your father used to like to tell you you are not doing well in life and they used to bother you. But anytime he talks, he sinks into you. Your father is not the problem. You know the problem? You are backsliding. I hope you are getting my point. Listen, God wants our faith preserved. The reality of life is that it tends to sleep with years. It tends to sleep with years. It tends to weaken with years. Two interesting things are among the things that weaken faith. One, prosperity. Two, cares of this world. Is this not funny? <laughs> prosperity weakens faith. The cares of this world weakens faith. There's one young, one little boy I saw the, the video. He made a video. Somebody wrote a script. He narrated it. I like his narration of it. The guy said, what do you practice? He was talking about practicing how to worry. He said, some people are so practiced how to worry that Every little thing worries them, including the buffalo they don't have. That's the joke about it. She suddenly said, eh, I don't have a buffalo. Now, when you get to that point as a believer, you know the problem? Faith is what? Down. 
Check yourselves, Paul said, to make sure you are still in the faith. To make sure you are still in the faith. Someone doctorian told the story. He went to preach somewhere. I forgot exactly where New Zealand or I'm not sure. He's some part somewhere in Asia. And then they put him in a bad hotel. Bad bed. Insects everywhere. And he began to whine and to complain. And when he finished whining and complain, the Lord just looked at him. And the Holy Spirit spoke to him. Why don't you just give the Lord thanks? I don't know whether you're getting my point. He entered into thanksgiving. By the time he was done with thanksgiving, do you know the same butterflies and moths that were annoying him before has been in his motel room? He began to look at them and say, man, these things are colorful, you know. They are so beautiful. How great is the Lord that made these animals, those little, little insects? Did the situation change by itself? No. But the man in the situation changed. Listen, watch how you are reacting to situations in life. It's a sign of where your faith is. I hope you are getting my point. Before somebody takes your money, you will laugh. Now they take your money, you want to shoot somebody. The people taking your money, they are not the problem. God sent them into your life, just like um, Basha came against Asa. Why? To remind you that your faith is down. Many times in life, that's the issue. You are a very honest person. You catch yourself now telling lies two times the last one week. Before the last one, we've not told the lie in the last two years. You know what it means? Your faith is what? Down. Your faith is down. I said something earlier. Asa, you know what working this faith? Now this is my own, you can argue about it, but this is my own estimation of it. It's prosperity. It was so busy. You know what Paul and, and Peter and Co. said? We must be careful that we don't neglect the ministry of the word and start doing what? Seven tables. Now basically what he was saying is this. We have a primary assignment. Sometimes when God blesses our primary assignment, secondary assignments come on top of it. Do you get my point? And those secondary assignments must never be allowed to take us away from the primary assignment. Do you get my point? The reason is because God has not given you enough time for everything. Like somebody said, you don't have enough time in this life to do everything you want to do. But you have enough time to do what you are supposed to be doing. That's the reality about life. So sometimes, what you find... Things that God has blessed you with, they start taking your attention away from the primary thing of life. Of course, in the midst of everything, the most important thing is seeking the face of God, getting to know the Lord Jesus Christ better on a daily basis. Sometimes we get so busy. Primary assignment takes its time. Secondary assignment collects the rest. Before you know what's happening, listen to me. It is insidious. It's gentle. You don't know. That's what I'm trying to emphasize. You don't even know it is happening. Most people, most of us, let me put it like that, most of, us who, who, most of us who have suffered the depletion of faith don't know anything has happened. We feel as good as before. Our name is Samson. I will shake myself as at former times. And I will go out. We will not know that Ika has bored. <laughs> we will know that the glory has departed. We will just get up, shake ourselves, we we'll think as at other times. Except that this time I will pull on the ropes. They don't snap as before. I want to take the door and throw it out of the way. The door is locked. Before we didn't know the meaning of lock doors. Once we push the door, it will open. That's the first time we realize that something bad has happened. That's the problem. And that's why we'll continue from, from this point next time. We'll do what Paul said. We must test ourselves regularly to be sure we are still in the faith. Then after that, we'll talk about what do we do to get back into the faith. Asa had a challenge. Now there's another problem. 
when you have prospered so much in life, when God is giving you checks and corrections to bring you back into the path of faith, you know the truth? You often have enough power to overcome that check. I don't know whether you get what I say there. God says to um, 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 Asa, your faith is down. I need to wake you up back to the matter of faith. So Asa says, no, no, take things from the temple, send it to Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria. Let him break his alliance he has with Basha, king of Israel. And that one does just that. And then Basha withdraws away from you. The Hanani now comes and says, look at it. You know, I prayed the prayer at the beginning. May you not prosper in that which God does not want you to do. You know what happened to Asa? He prospered in what God did not want him to do. And for that reason, you know what happened? He didn't take correction. And then he died. A nation came against him. Israel, his brother, came against him. He looked for help. And the prophet reminded him. He said, were well, the Ethiopians and the Libyans, that's the Libyans of today. He said, well, they not an immense army. They amassed an army of one million people against him that time. And he prayed to the Lord. The Lord scattered them for him. Now, Basha has now come against you. You feel like, and God says something, because of that, the army of the king of Syria has escaped from your hand. Ben-Hadad, God wanted to destroy Ben-Hadad. If the man had gone back to God to pray, God would have destroyed Ben-Hadad. Now, listen, Basha was the one, because we can't read it now because of time, okay? But Basha was the king of Israel, northern Israel, attacking Judah. And that's where Asa was king. But Basha was depending on support by Ben-Hadad. And God said, let me destroy Ben-Hadad. So he instigated Basha to come and attack Israel, uh, uh, Judah. And instead of Asa learning the lesson, I was saying about prosperity. Prosperity can be so powerful. It can be so powerful you will use it to fight God. That was precisely what he did. And then the prophet said, look at you. Now, the king of Aram has escaped from your hand. Yet, yet, it worked though. The method he used, I hope you know it worked. But he said something to him. He said, let's read it. I'm just quoting and quoting. Because he said to him, he said, from now on, you will have wars. Second Chronicles chapter 16. Please let me close now. Let's just quickly read this. Second Chronicles chapter 16. For time's sake, we will not go into that, but chapter 15, you will see the revival that happened in Judah under Asa. And that happened until the 35th year of the reign of Asa. There was no trouble again. In the 36th year of Asa's reign was when Basha, the king of Israel, came against Judah. And if you read all those verses, you see how it took things. This is an important lesson. Asa brought out silver and gold from the treasuries of the house of the Lord. When you are taking things that are sacred to God, Time sacred to the Lord, you are using it to save your prosperity, there's a problem. He asked him, he sent those things to um, Ben-Hadad. But you now see, of course, it brought deliverance for him, because it's in verse 5, when Basha heard of it, that is, that Ben-Hadad had gone, turned against him, he seized fortifying Ramah and stopped his work. Then King Asa brought all Judah, and they carried away the stones of Ramah and his timber, with which Basha had been building. And with them, he fortified Giba and Mizpah. So that was success. Be careful of success. Oh. And what I want to read is what Hanani said. Verse 7. At that time, Hanani the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, 
Because you have relied on the king of Aram and have not relied on the Lord your God. Aram and Syria are the same thing, okay? Therefore, the king of, the army of the king of Aram, they were not there. But that was the target. The army of the king of Aram has escaped out of your hand. Were not the Ethiopians and the Lubim an immense army with very many chariots and horsemen. Yet because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord moved to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. You have acted foolishly in this. Indeed, from now on, you will surely have wars. That is what happens when you use the arm of flesh to scuttle the correction of the Lord. Let me stop it here. That is what happens when we use the arm of flesh to scuttle the correction of the Lord. Let me quickly drop this one, please, before I go. Maybe we'll talk about it again next time. Let me just say it so that maybe I'll remember to talk about it. What God cannot stand is those that don't listen to correction. Anybody can make a mistake. Everybody will make a mistake. But what God cannot stand is when he brings correction like he did here and you don't listen. Even after he did what he did, he could have repented. You know what he did? He put the prophet in prison. He was surely going to have wars. The first war he had was against his flesh. Disease came onto his body. Even then, he still did not repent. God's aim all the time is so that his children will repent. Listen to me. Let me add, let me end with this. He's ever faithful. He's very patient with his children. Exceedingly patient. The problem is our stubbornness. And we have begun to teach doctrines that say God doesn't do anything bad. So when Bashar comes against us, we say it is the devil. God says, I know it's the devil, but how come he did not notice you for 35 years? Why don't you ask yourself, how come this devil is not noticing me in the 36th year? What is different between my 34th, 35th, and now the 36th year? What changed? That's what you should be asking. Because God, really, what is going after is the purity of our faith. Come back down here to pray. Once again, let's thank the Lord for the word of correction and admonition that he has brought to us again this evening.